Matthew 26. In the last three chapters, we have the um, narrative of our Lord's passion, crucifixion, and resurrection. Chapter 26 records the plot to kill Jesus, his anointing at Bethany, the Passover, the Lord's Supper, and uh, his personal betrayal, arrest, trial, and Peter's denial. There's a lot. And this chapter probably should have been divided into two or three sections, but once again, the chapter and verse division, um, they're not inspired. Men try to make the best decisions. Sometimes they could have made a better division, but uh, no big deal. We'll tackle it, see how we get tonight. Chapter 26, verse 1 through 5. You have the announcement by Jesus about his crucifixion, um, the plot to kill him, the parallel passages, Mark 14, 1 and 2, Luke 22, 1 and 2. The prophetic fulfillment here uh, in verse 1 and 2, the setting and the time of the declaration. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. The reference to the words is the chapter 24 and 25. He's told the Jews they're going to go through tribulation, great tribulation. He's talking about the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9:27, the day of the Lord. Uh, the phrases, phrase, uh, um, then it came to pass that he finished five times, as we said this morning, 728, 11-1, 13-53, 19-1, and 26-1. Natural divisions. Here he's finished chapter 24-25. Five main discourse. The words are addressed to his disciples. Uh, notice there that he says in uh, that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This is still Tuesday, two days. It'll be Thursday. Um, remember the Jewish day goes evening and morning. Look back to Genesis. So when we say Thursday, if, if we're talking about Thursday evening, that's already Wednesday the next day. So you have to keep track of the days. And uh, the Passover is April 14th. As you know, it's confirmed by Mark in Mark 14, 1 and 3. It goes back to Exodus 12 of the Exodus of the um, Egyptians. Uh, the lamb that was slain, the blood put on the, on the doorpost, the lentil, the angel of death leaped over. Everybody in Egypt from the king on down died, the firstborn. Um, this is a prophecy. It says it will be delivered up to be crucified over and over again. Uh, Jesus mentioned his death and resurrection from Matthew 9, 16:21, the confession of Caesarea Philippi by Peter, all the way down. But the disciples never heard it. Again, the Jewish mind, they're looking for the kingdom. In verse 3 through 4, you have the plot by the religious leaders to um, kill Jesus. The evil men are stated in verse 3. Then the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and the people assemble at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. Uh, then the word then, once again, the time word that uh, Matthew uses over and over again. And um, these are the religious leaders, the high priests, the intercessors. They, again, Sadducees didn't believe in spirit, angels, the resurrection. You have a, a odd mixture here, the scribes, the uh, scholars, the interpreters of the law, the transcribers, the lawyers, the elders, supposedly the um, uh, elder men who were uh, to have wisdom. That's where the, um, the Roman Senate um, the Greek community also had the elders, those that were wise. Our Senate in Washington uh, is full of idiots um, instead of wise people. It is an amazing thing. Um, 
So these comprise the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. They're having an informal meeting. Again, they don't want to give any idea of their evil plot. That's one thing about religious people and politicians. They're really the same animal. They're no different. Um, they, they, they live for power. They live for, uh, for controlling people. And they have um, very evil intentions. Um, the word their place is an uncovered courtyard in the house of, of um, Caiaphas. Caiaphas, remember, was married to um, the daughter of Annas, who was a high priest from A.D. 6 to 15. And he was appointed by Roman 18 uh, by Valerius Gratus, um, governor of Judea. And then he was disposed in 36 by Vitellus, governor of Syria. Uh, and so... Uh, at this time, there's two high priests, really. The people recognize still Annas. Caiaphas was the appointment by Rome. And uh, you had a lot of politics, a lot of money involved, a lot of power play, uh, That, um, as we've seen even from the beginning with Herod the Great. Um, uh, 28 priests from 37 B.C. to 67 A.D. That's a lot of people. Verse 4, the purpose of the meeting is stated clearly to plot to take Jesus by trickery to kill him. Uh, they hated Jesus. They opposed Jesus. They've been uh, um, trying to trap him from uh, one time to another, from the very beginning. Um, and um, Judas was going to be the instrument of this trickery, deceit. It's, the word is used for bait of an animal, to trap them. Um, and um, the hypocrisy of the entire plot to kill Jesus um, is given to us in verse 5. They were um, calculating, but they said not during... The feast. So they're trying to figure this thing out. You know, they think they, they want to pull something evil, but they want to appear like not being evil and getting away with it. Uh, does this sound familiar? That's the nature of man. Um, the nature of man is evil. Heart is desperately wicked. Um, only God knows it. Jeremiah 79. Jesus said the same in Matthew 15. And um, Rome was always increasing her armies, as you know, during the feast days because of the potential riotous uh, atmosphere and different groups would try to exalt themselves. And um, they feared the reaction of the people. So they feared people more than God. They, they understood that they can get over on people, but then they had lots of consciousness that they can't get over on God. And I don't know where you came from, um, what you came out of, and how you lived, but uh, we all live like that at one time for certain levels, for certain things. And we live like, you know, no one's going to find out, and, you know, it doesn't matter, and what I do is not going to hurt anybody. And um, God's not pleased. And it's um, that's why it's called deception. Um, natural man is uh, prone for darkness, towards evil. Um, a man is a lawbreaker. That's why he needs law to rule him. Uh, law doesn't reward you. Law doesn't commend you. It, it points to your guilt. Uh, it says that, that you're a lawbreaker over and over again. And so Jesus was in control. Uh, he would, in fact, be taken during the feast. In 6 through 13, the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, the parallel passage of the again is Mark 14, 3 through 9, and John 12, 1 through 8. And in verse 6 and 7, the loving affection of uh, of um, of this woman that we're going to see uh, for Jesus is displayed here. Uh, the setting has changed again when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Bethany again means um, 
um, house of dates, and uh, it's two miles um, from Jerusalem on the east side of the um, Mount of Olives. As we sit in Mount of Olives facing the city, it's behind us on the way out to Jericho. And um, uh, here he, he says that um, um, the house of Simon is where, where they're at. And no doubt this man had been healed by Jesus, as we said this morning. In um, Mark 14, 1 and John 12, 1 and 2 tells us that um, that that supper was really in honor of Jesus and Lazarus was the guest of honor. Um, John makes the distinction between 12, John 12, 1, where he says that Jesus arrived at Bethany six days before the Passover. And then it tells us about the supper, which is this supper. Uh, but this supper took place two days. So Jesus was there four days before he came to the supper. We're not told what happened between there. It could have been at Mary and Lazarus and Martha's house. We're not told. It's just speculation. But the distinction is made if you compare the text. Um, the person approaching Jesus is this woman who came and having an alabaster box um, the flax, very costly and fragrant, says verse 7, and she poured it on his head and sat as he sat at the table. Um, she lavishes this expensive gift, a Zalabaxer box, material of uh, translucent gypsum or limestone to contain uh, precious perfumes or oils. And... Um, uh, John tells us that um, this was about 12 ounces or one pound in uh, about 300 denarii's. Uh, one denarii is one day's wage, so it's quite a bit of money for that day. It would be like if someone would make uh, 100,000 a year, and it would be maybe $85,000 today, you know, if you made 100,000. So it would be pretty much. Now, she uh, poured the oil on the head of Jesus, notice, uh, as he reclined. The word sat means they reclined because that's the way they ate. We've gone through this many, many times. And they sat on low tables and reclined back. Um, and um, the woman is identified as Mary and by John, John twelve three, who anointed his feet. And here we say they had, and, he, and she wiped them with her hair, and the house was filled with this fragrance. So as we compare the Gospels, whether it be the synoptic or the Gospel of John, which is not a synoptic, we get further information, which is not a contradiction, though many time non-believers will try to say they are contradictions, but they're not. If you would have an accident over here at Sierra Madre um, in... Um, in Colorado Boulevard, and each of you, uh, four of you, were standing on the four different corners, and that accident took place. That policeman would take a report, and every one of you would give him a different detail because, from the vantage point that you're at, you saw a different thing about that accident. After he collected all, he would not go back to the police department and say, These guys all lied to me. He wouldn't understand that it is a complete picture of what took place. And that's what the Gospels are. Now, there is no contradiction again. Um, Jesus will say in verse 12 and that she poured it on his body also. 
Um, again, don't confuse this also with um, the um, anointing at the house of Simon the Pharisee by the prostitute. Um, she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried them with her hair and she anointed his feet with the fragrance in Luke seven thirty six through 50. That's a complete different one. So there's different accounts that seem to be the same, but they're not. Verse 8 and 9, the objection of the anointing of Jesus. Um, the one objecting again, uh, but when the disciples saw him, they were indignant because um, they saying, why this waste? They were indignant, the same word that is used when James and John asked for the right hand and the left hand. Uh, the other ten were indignant. And yet they were always competing. The common conversation of the apostles was, who is the greatest? And they had um, an esteem problem. Um, too much esteem. And um, why the waste confirms their, um, their displeasure. Uh, the reason for the objection is voice. In verse 9, for this uh, fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, John tells us that these were the words of Judas, as we said this morning. And he didn't do it because he really cared for the poor, but because he was stealing from the treasury. And um, uh, he's really accusing Jesus of being extravagant and sensitive, and, and, and both of those are complete lies. Uh, many people, let me suggest to you, especially our our um, hypocritical politicians, uh, Pelosi and Waters and the rest of the gang, that um, if you would look up how benevolent they are and how charitable they are, you would blow your mind the millions they have and the little they give. Uh, the way you spend your money and how gracious you are, to others and to the grace and to the work of God it says much about a person. They're not concerned about the poor. They're concerned about controlling the poor and keeping them poor. Uh, it's just real simple. They have the bread and they give people crumbs and they want to be praised. Well, one of these days it's all going to work out. <laughs> one of these days. Um, Mary stands alone in sharp contrast to um, the religious rulers who hated Jesus, the disciples um, who were really condemning her, and uh, Judas Iscariot, which betrays him. Now in verse 10 through 13, the condemnation of Mary by, or the commendation of Mary by Jesus here, the rebuke of the disciples by Jesus is in verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. Jesus reveals their evil heart. They, they were judging this woman without knowing the motive of her heart. It's a good work. Um, the trouble was uh, beating, smiting her, cutting her, condemning her. Um, good is a word that means commendable, admirable, excellent. And so Jesus is commending this woman because he, he not only has seen the work that she did, but he knows the reason, the motive. And therefore, he can make absolute perfect judgment. I can judge your actions, and your actions may be wrong. If you get up and just walk across and hit somebody in the mouth right now, then I, I can judge that your actions are wrong. I don't know why you did it, but I can tell you what you did is wrong by the mere action, okay? But um, I can't read the motive of your heart. 
So we can judge actions. We cannot judge the motive. And there are some actions and deeds that are absolutely wrong and others that are right. Okay? And uh, so we have to keep that in mind. Now, Jesus was aware of their thoughts and their motives. And again, he's the only one. The disciples appeared to present themselves as spiritual when in reality they were insensitive to Jesus and they were carnal regarding this woman. Here they're going to Jerusalem and they're so concerned about themselves. They're asking the right hand and the left hand and Jesus is going to die and, and, and be uh, scourged. And, and they're, they're, they're not even concerned about that. It's, it's out of their mind. Amazing. And so the correction of the wrong perspective in verse 11. For you have the poor with you always, and um, but me you do not have always. So Jesus makes a distinction here between the um, uh, the priority of, of, of what's going on in his life. The poor will always be here. He's not minimizing the poor, but there's priorities. At this point in time, um, Jesus is only going to be with them about two more days. And he's going through his passion, and he makes that distinction. And then through life, you're going to have to make some distinctions as young couples, as you are married, you're raising your children, you're working through life. On what is priorities? There are certain things that you shouldn't be doing at all because they're not priorities for your life as a husband, as a wife, as a mother and a father. Or as a young person being single and working and going to school. You live by priorities. If you waste your life, you will soon regret it. Because one thing you don't get back is time and opportunity. It's gone. Window times. And so in verse 12, the interpretation of Mary's deed is given by Jesus for pouring this fragrant oil on my body. She did it for my burial. So she was the only sensitive woman. Interesting that she's the only woman that got to anoint Jesus' body. The woman that came to the tomb, it was too late. He was already risen. <laughs> this is the only anointing he got. All right? The promise to Mary is in verse 13. Surely I say to you, uh, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Uh, she sat at his feet, Luke ten forty two. Mary was always the one sitting at his feet. Martha was always cumbered about with much working. <laughs> Different individuals. She is in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, uh, by saying this. God recognizes that. And so in 14 through 16, you have the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. The parallel passages is Mark 14, 10 through 11. Also Luke 22, 3 through 6. The treacherous betrayal is given first in um, 14. Uh, the final decision is made here. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went out to the chief priest. And Judas was one of the 12 chosen through an entire night of prayer by Jesus in Luke 6, 12 through 13. Jesus did not make a mistake. Judas made the wrong decision. Am I clear on that? All right. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. All right? Be careful what you think about Judas and how you see him. Judas is called the son of perdition in John 17, 12. The only other person is the Antichrist. Satan entered into Judas at this point, Luke 22, 
3 tells us. John's gospel gives us more information also. The um, negotiation for a price comes next in verse 15 and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. This was the price for a gorged slave in Exodus 21:32. The price was prophesied exactly in Zechariah 11:12 through 13, which would later on be cast in the floor of the temple. By the way, as Jesus is being interrogated by the priest, and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood, and they say, what is that to us? And then they hypocritically say, well, we can't put it back in the treasury, so let's buy a potter's field. Zechariah 11.13 points that out. Both prophetic. How hypocrisy. They paid to set this man up, and then they say, well, let's just buy a potter's field. Like I said, religious people and politicians, no difference. They're the same. And when pastors cease to be pastors, they become religious politicians. Be careful. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Second Timothy 6.20 Nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. Living for money. The determination is given in verse 16. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And Judas uh, was um, uh, going to be looking for the most convenient time. The word there means the seasonable time, the exact time. Um, it's used for Jesus about his hour of crucifixion by John in John 7, 6, and 8. In 17 through 30, you have the... Um, the celebration of the Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the passages, again, that are parallel are Mark 14, 12 through 25, and Luke 22, 7 through 23. And you also have now John chapter 13, verse 1 through 30. That's a lot of information there. In 17 through 19, the preparation of the Passover, the eating uh, um, will begin here. The setting changes now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Uh, this is the Passover on Thursday during the day. Um, John 13, 1 is a good cross-reference. The Passover was in fulfillment of the Exodus again. Exodus 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Jesus is our Passover Paul the Apostle speaks about the communion that we'll get into after the Passover later on. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is in April. Um, Passover the 14th of April, the 15th to the 21st is the Feast of Unleavened. The first day, the seventh day, are holy convocations or Sabbaths. You can have three Sabbaths in one week. All leaven would be removed from the house and then the, the child, they, they would leave a little bit, the father would leave a little bit and, and he would... And he would remove it, and, and, and they would be ready for the whole feast. They were tied together, both of them. Um, the instructions of Jesus, um, he says in verse 18, Go into the city and a certain man, um, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Um, the word man, as we said this morning, is a certain unnamed man. It's only used one time in the scriptures here. And that's 
the way all the Gospels portray. We don't know who this one is. I'm sure he was a disciple of Jesus. And um, the man would be carrying a pitcher of water, Luke 22.10 tells us. And they were preparing for the Passover. Notice my time, Cairo, the same word as seasonal time, the very specific time of his death was at hand. The obedience of the disciples is given in 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now, if you examine and you check the three synoptics and John, Jesus celebrated this Passover a day early. Because when he's being tried by Pilate, the religious leader says, we can't go into the praetorium lest we can't eat of the Passover. Examine the evidence, okay? <laughs> Very important. In verse 20 through 25, the identity of Judas, the traitor, is given. In verse 20, the gathering for the Passover. Um, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. This is Thursday evening again, Jewish Friday. Um, begins, the twelve are present. Uh, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Luke twenty-two fifteen says that Jesus tells them. The declaration of betrayal by Jesus comes in verse 21. Now, as they were eating, he said, Surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. John says Jesus was troubled in spirit about this betrayal in John thirteen twenty one. This means Jesus celebrated the meal, as I said, the day before. The bitter herbs, the salt water, the cup of wine, the prayers, the singing of the psalm, Psalm 113 all the way to 137, the Hallel Psalms. The keen awareness that each had the potential to betray Jesus is so important that you understand and I. Listen to verse 22. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them, the twelve, began to say to him, Lord, is it I? The word sorrowful means they became sad, grievous, and uneasy. Mark again says one by one, Mark fourteen nineteen. Luke says they began to question among themselves which of them would do this thing, Luke twenty two twenty three. And John says, then the disciples looked to one another perplexed about whom he spoke, John thirteen twenty two. They've been together for three and a half years. They've left everything. They believe Jesus is Messiah. But they believe he's going to establish a kingdom. But it's not going to work out how they think. They're going to be in for the greatest shock of their life. And Jesus understands this. The indication of the betrayal by Jesus in 23 says, He answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Jesus had already washed the feet of all 12 of them, even Judas, John 13, 1 through 11. Can you imagine? Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Well, if I can't wash your feet, you'll even have neither part nor lot. He said, give me a bath. <laughs> one by one, he comes to, G to Judas. Judas lets him wash his feet. 
Jesus knows he's going to betray him. Wow. The betrayal of Judas is prophetic of Ahithophel in Psalm 41.9. David's close companion and counselor. One that um, a familiar friend he trusted, ate bread, worshipped together. Wow. Jesus gave Judas the bread and said, What you do, do quickly. John 13, 26 through 27. The warning to the betrayer by Jesus is in 24. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. These are just horrific words. The phrase Son of Man is the title of Messiah. God became flesh. The Son of Man, Ezekiel uses it, Daniel uses it, and Jesus uses it. No one else. He is Messiah. Daniel seven thirteen through 14. Good scripture. Prophecy um, um, only makes known what is going to happen. It doesn't force the person to commit the sin. Just as it is written, it says, if God would predestine someone to do evil and force them to do the evil and then turn around and judge them, he cannot be good, he cannot be just, he cannot be holy, he has to be a liar. Therefore, every person that commits any sin, any deed that is evil, they are solely responsible for it. And they will have to give an account to God. They cannot blame God. All right? Be careful. Because if you understand the belief of Calvinists, they believe that nothing happens apart from God's decrees. They even say that God decreed the fall of Adam. And then God turns around and judges Adam and punishes Adam for what God decreed and forced him to do. I don't know if you like that theology. I don't find it in the Bible. That's a whole different God. That's not the God of my Bible. So be careful. When you start thinking about the eternal security and the decrees of God, think it through. Jesus gave so many opportunities for Judas. We don't have time right now, but go through it and mark them down. How many chances he had. Whoa. A severe statement of judgment. It would have been better for that man not to be born. That means he is totally responsible. In verse 25, the accusation of Judas. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. Jesus accuses him straight out. He heard each of the disciples. They said, I. They each believed they had the potential. But as Judas heard it, he said, no, nope, it's not you. Because he knew all along it was him. At this point, Judas leaves after the Passover. He is not present when the Lord's Supper is introduced. Verse 26 through 30, the institution of the Lord's Supper now, the inauguration of the meaning of his body. And they were eating. Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and says, Take, eat. 
This is my body. His body was offered as sin for us. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21. It goes back to uh, uh, Numbers 9.12, Psalm 34.20. Not a bone of his was broken. Um, you have the entire passage of Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and many, many others. Um, the meaning of his blood comes in 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, the eleven. Uh, the supper was representative of um, not the literal body and blood, as the Catholic Church teaches, called transubstantiation. But Jesus was standing there. But uh, when we take communion, it represents what he did through the physical body and his blood. Um, the superiority of the new covenant is given in 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And the blood is shed um, to forgive sins. Do I can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, Peter 1.19, the precious blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. Hebrews, the whole entire book of Hebrews is a Leviticus interpretation of the Old Testament. All of it. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. The sacrifice, the blood, the priest, everything, all the furnishings, everything. And so in verse 29, the Lord's Supper not only looked back to what Jesus did for us, but also forward to the future kingdom. But I say to you, I will... Not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink anew in with you in my Father's kingdom. And so uh, as we return with Jesus in Revelation 19 and he sets up the kingdom after he destroys the armies of the world and he judges the nations, then we will rule and reign with him. The disciples will sit upon 12 thrones and they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel as we've seen in Matthew 24 and 25. A lot of exciting things ahead. But um, there's going to be a horrible seven-year time of God's wrath poured out upon this earth uh, before all that takes place, as we've seen. And so, um, the betrayal and crucifixion could not take away his joy and long-suffering and long towards sinners. And when they um, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives in verse 30. Again, Psalm 115 through 118, 120 through 137. Verse 31 now to 35, you have the prediction of Jesus about all the apostles abandoning him. Um, the parallel passages, Mark 14, 26 through 31, Luke 22, 39. In verse 31, we have the prophecy, the proclamation. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, they would not know how to handle it. Everything that people say, well, you know, I know that I'm going with this girl, I'm seeing her, and she's not a believer, or a guy, he's not a believer, but, I, you know, I, I, the Lord, you know, and everything works out good when it's on this side of blood and guts. But once you disobey God and you jump into it, and there's blood and guts and flesh and blood and emotions. It's a whole different animal. So you have to be careful. The basis for the proclamation was the scripture, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. He's quoting Zechariah um, uh, 11.7, 13.7 there. Um, 
It's, it's amazing to me just how accurate the scriptures are over and over and over again. It was all prophesied completely. 13.7. Now, look at verse 32, the promise of Jesus to the apostles. Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. Um, but after I have been raised, he says. They didn't hear this. He's been saying this since Caesarea Philippi. They haven't heard it. They're ready to rule and reign. Jesus gave them a, a, a particular location uh, to meet them after the resurrection. And I will go before you in Galilee. This is confirmed in chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 10 and 16. And he does that, right? Remember, he goes over there and they're fishing. And little children, have you caught anything? I was that guy and all that. And John goes, hey, that's the Lord. He jumps in, Peter. Okay? Amazing. When they got to the shore, you already had some fish on the barbie. Verse 33 to 35, the three mistakes Peter makes. 33, he had a high view of himself. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Don't you remember, Lord? I am the rock. Oh, yeah. Little rock. <laughs> Second, he contradicted Jesus through his pride. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Whoa. Peter didn't really believe that he was that weak. That he had that potential. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Very important. Thirdly, he had confidence in his flesh. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you. Whoa. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Well, they're not going to sit back. If Peter says that we're going to up him, right? It is amazing what people will do in a group setting, a mom mentality, they would never do alone. Never. I don't care whether you're black, you're white, pink, or blue. We're bad news in a bunch. We lose our minds. We become animals. It's an amazing thing. In 36 to 46, the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. The parallel passages, Mark 14, 32 to 42, Luke 22, 40 through 46, and the arrival of the garden there. Um, and then Jesus, verse 36, came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which means oil press or olive press. At the foot of the Mount of Olives, uh, after the Kidron, you start going up and there's many gardens there. Jesus knew a wealthy man and they were... Uh, often there, John 18, 1 and 2 tells us, so they went there many, many times. And the instructions to the disciples uh, was he said to the disciples, sit here while I go to pray over there. Sit to watch. I mean, Jesus is in agony. We're going to read this right now. And they, they have no clue. They're just clueless. They, they're just into themselves. The inner circle of Jesus now is petitioned in verse 37. Um, Jesus chooses. He says uh, he took with him Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, James and John. Uh, these three had been privileged to see the daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead, the transfiguration, and many other things that the others were not. Again, you and I would look at this as favoritism on God's side, but it isn't. God cannot make mistakes, so when he chooses, he knows why and who and when. And there's no favoritism, there's no nothing. It's he's, what he does, he does out of his own sovereignty, uh, for the benefit of his own glory, and for the benefit of the one that he is choosing to do whatever he decides. Um, the spiritual suffering of Jesus is given in 37, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply uh, distress, deeply disturbed. It's used to describe the supreme anguish to be uncomfortable, not at home, literally. In 38, the petition of Jesus to the inner circle. It's kind of interesting here. Jesus reveals his heart. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Luke tells us that he sweat as it were drops of blood. Jesus asked for their company. Stay here and watch with me. Very intense time. Spiritually speaking. The victory was won at the garden. The first prayer of Jesus in 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying. Oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless not as I will but as you will. This cup is the cup of God's wrath. That's going to fall upon him in place of falling upon us sinners. He became our substitute, Second Corinthians 5.21, as I gave you before. He is the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world, First John 2.2. 2. Not as I will, but your will be done. He tasted death for every man. God heard him, Hebrews 5.7 says. He was tempted in all points. Yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross, Hebrews 12.1 and 2. Wow. The dullness of the apostles is in verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? They were asleep also on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? <laughs> they could have seen and heard so much more if they could have been awake. In 41, the words of Jesus to his disciples are watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mark that well. Prayer keeps us from temptation. The spirit is willing, but our flesh cannot accomplish the things that the spirit can. You trust in your flesh. He who depends and trusts the arm of flesh is a fool. The spirit needs to draw from God's Holy Spirit. That's why we're to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18. Keep on keeping on. Ongoing. 42. We have the second prayer of Jesus. Again the second time he went away and prayed saying, My Father, oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now Jesus is not trying to avoid the cross. He's just displaying 
the suffering, the spiritual suffering. Too many times people make a big deal about the physical suffering and pain, though that is horrific and incredibly agonizing. The greater suffering was the spiritual suffering. He became sin who knew no sin. The wrath of the Father was going to fall upon him. He was going to be separated from the Father for the very first time from all eternity. There's no way to explain that. No way to understand that. Wow. Your will be done. You can never pray any better than that. Now the people of faith today, the faith movement tell you that if you pray, your will be done, you're praying doubting faith. No, it isn't. Jesus prayed that. I'd rather follow my example after Jesus than them. They do it for a corrupt motive. 43 and 44, the third prayer of Jesus. And he came and he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, went away in prayer the third time saying the same words. Drops of blood. Angels came, Luke twenty two, forty three, forty four, to minister to him. Wow. Forty five and forty six the apostles were asleep again. They came to the disciples and he said them uh, said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse forty five. So they were sorrowful. They, they didn't understand. And they're human like you and I. The Holy Spirit has not been given as of yet. Um, now Jesus watches over them. And, and the, the, the text seems to imply that there is a, a, a interim time here, a lapse of time as Jesus now is watching over them, knowing what they're going to go through. He's praying for them. He's guarding them. And then he says, arise, let us go. Let us be going see. My betrayer is at hand. Amazing. 47 through 46, you have the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. The parallel passages, Mark 14, 43 to 52. Luke 22, 47 to 53. And John 18, 3 through 12 will help us. The multitude here in verse 47. Um, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas and all... And the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And so Jesus went to them. Why do you seek? Who do you seek? And they fell to the ground, John eighteen four and 6 tells us. People say, see, they're that slain in the spirit. They were non-believers. Not what it's talking about. Jesus was demonstrating I'm handing myself over to you. You're not taking me. He willingly gave his life. In verse 48 and 49, the betrayer. In 48, he says, Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one sees him. And immediately went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed them. The word kissers repeatedly. The hypocrisy, the treachery of Judas here. Incredible. Passionate kiss, Luke seven thirty eight, fifteen twenty, and other places. 
the words of Jesus to Judas in verse 50. But Jesus said to them, friend, why have you come? Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and took him. Friend, comrade, companion. Wow. As they fell to the ground more than one time. <laughs> Jesus says, let them go. Meaning his apostles. Wow. In 51, the attempt to res the rescue of Jesus by Peter here. Um, 51, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. His name is Malchus, John eighteen ten and 15 tells us. And by the way, Luke twenty two fifty one tells us Jesus healed him, put it back on his head. Peter was a fisherman. He didn't know how to swing a sword. He probably aiming for his head, got his ear. And, and, and again, it, it, the ear that he cut off, if you look at the scriptures, he was probably running away when he whacked them. <laughs> Amazing. Look at 52, the words of Jesus to Peter. But Jesus said to him, Peter, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. You cannot accomplish the things and the will of God by the sword. This is not speaking against capital punishment. This is not speaking against self-defense, by the way. It's taking up the sword like liberation theology of Reverend Wrong and many others. Okay? Jesus will tell his disciples, you need to go sell and go buy a sword. So in other words, if someone tries to assault you, you are to defend yourself. When you are a patriot to a nation and your nation is attacked, there is nothing wrong with defending your nation. It's real simple. It's not a contradiction to Scripture. Okay? Be careful which way you go. Capital punishment is biblical. Not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Paul says that Rome does not bear the sword in vain. They didn't tickle you with the sword. They put you to death. Look at 53 and 4, the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus was not a victim. He was in control. The Father was there with him. 72,000 angels. <laughs> That's how many legions, these legions are equal. Were at his disposal. Second Kings 19.35, one angel killed 185,000 frontline Assyrian troops in one night. Wow. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9.24-20. Uh, through 26 and many, many others. 55 through 56, the charge by Jesus about their deceit and treachery fulfilling scripture. Um, in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber and swords with clubs and take me? And I sat daily with you watching or teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. Opportunists, cowards, but fulfilling scripture because God knew what they were going to do. Not that God forced them to do it. 
But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, and all the disciples forsook him and fled. Wow. 57, 68, Jesus now before the Sanhedrin. The parallel passages are Mark 14, 53 to 65, Luke 22, 54, then 63 to 65, and 67 to 71. And, and John 18, 24 gives us a little tidbit there. In verse 57, the ceasing of Jesus and those who had laid hold on Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where... Um, uh, they would try him. They, they first led Jesus to Annas, then Caiaphas, the father-in-law. John eighteen thirteen tells us that, that there was a religious uh, trial and there was a secular trial. Uh, the Sanhedrin court of the Jews, um, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the high priest presided over that. The trial had to be uh, in the daytime by law. Criminals uh, could not be... Uh, uh, transacted during the Passover season, only the verdict um, was not guilty, could be um, a case that could um, be finished in the same day it began. Otherwise, a night must elapse before judgment. Everything they did was against their own law. No decision was valid unless it met in its own meeting place, the hall of the hewn stone in the temple precinct. False witnesses were used against him. Everything was against the law. Wow. In 58, the apostle Peter follows Jesus, but Peter followed him in the distance in high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat in the servants to see the end. So Peter followed a distance. That's his first mistake. Into the courtyard. John got him into the courtyard. John eighteen fifteen, Because John was knew the high priest. Um, Peter sat with the servants. And you know the servant girl. You know he's going to give them away. Psalm 1. Sit in the counsel of the ungodly. Be careful. <laughs> Alright. Verse 59 through 64. The false witness. Which Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen speaks against. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus and put him to death. The chief priests, the elders, um, they just hated Jesus. They had no room for Jesus. But found none, verse 60, even though many false witnesses came forward and found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward. Um, their efforts were futile, unreliable. By the way, if any witness testified falsely on capital punishments, if he, if he was found out, they would be put to death. So it was hard to get two people to agree on capital punishment. Okay? That's kind of a good rule. We should do that. Um, verse 61, and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Well, of course, the accusations fall. Jesus was talking about his body in John 2.19. But again, it's false witnesses. Um, uh, the interrogation was illegal completely. No person on trial could be asked to force or forced to answer any question that would incriminate him. In verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under the oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And the scribes and the elders were assembled. And uh, Jesus remained silent. And was placed under oath. Verse 53. Isaiah says. Dumb 
as a lamb to the slaughter. The question, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus answered, yes, and revealed his coming as Daniel prophesied, power and glory, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. 65 to 68, their hypocrisy and conspiracy here. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemous. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you heard his blasphemy. Tearing the clothes was against Levitical law. Leviticus 10, 6, 21, 10. They accused Jesus of blasphemy, saying he was the Messiah, the Son of God. They knew exactly what he was saying. They understood that he said he was God. What do you think? Verse 66 says, they answered and said, he is deserving death. They condemn him to death here. Then they spat at him in his face, beat him, and others struck him in the palms of his hands. They abused him, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? They mocked him, blindfolded him. Mark and others tell us. From 69 to 65, Peter's denial of Jesus comes. The parallel of the passage is Mark 14, 69 to 75, Luke 22, 55 to 62. And also John again, chapter 18, 15 through 18, 25 and 27. As you can see, there's a lot of material about this time and the events of Jesus. The first denial, sitting outside the courtyard, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside the country or the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him, saying, You are also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. Wow. He's out there in the courtyard. Servant girl catches him. 71 and 72, the second denial, walk, walking out of the gate. And it, when he had gone out to the gate, another girl saw him and said to those there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it. With an oath. I do not know this man. Wow. 73 to 74. The third denial. Standing in their midst. And a little later. Those who stood by. Came up and said to Peter. Surely you also are one of them. For your speech betrays you. He had an accent. A Galilean accent. And then he began to curse and swear. Saying I do not know the man. Immediately the the rooster crowed. Wow. He called down a curse on himself. Swore by an oath. The brokenness of Peter in 75. Peter uh, remembered the words of Jesus and had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Wow. The gospel says that he locked eyes with Jesus. I guarantee you, he didn't see Jesus go. But love and compassion and a look of, turn to me. I'll take care of you. As you know, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, I have prayed for you. Satan has wanted to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Peter was restored 
John 21, 15 through 17. He asked them again, Peter, do you love me more than these? Did he say more than these, the fish or the disciples? <laughs> three times he asked them. The three denials. God restored Peter, forgave Peter, and used Peter tremendously. You can do what Judas did. Not repent. And you perish. Or you can repent and be restored like Peter. It is a choice. And by the way, suicide, I wouldn't give you any hope. Five occasions, you look them up, I wouldn't want to be either one of them. Suicide is a pagan practice, not a Christian practice. Christians of the past have gone to the stake burning, praying for their persecutors. To the lions in prison. Suicide is not a Christian practice. I would give you no hope for suicide. That's all I'll say about it. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and goodness. Thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for the people you brought and for those who are hearing, Lord. And we pray that you would just continue to deal with us. We just love you, Lord. We thank you for your mercies. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. No one can convince you of your sins. You have to be convicted by the Word of God. As Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, turns on that light, allow you to see yourself or who you are. And if that's the case, then you have to decide, do you want to confess your sins and be saved? That's called repentance. If such is the case, then he will make you brand new. He will forgive you and cast your sins as far as ceases the west, burying them deep as ocean by grace through faith. Because he has made the way by dying for you and then being raised from the dead. So if you don't know Jesus Christ in the internet or right here, this is a simple prayer of repentance. And wherever you're at, he's going to forgive you and save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.